Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. So it is July, and I am on summer vacay, but I didn't want to completely leave you without any episodes during the summer. So I am doing something a little bit different. This episode, I'm going to be talking about medical social work. And that's not the different parts because I talk about social work all the time. But the different part is for the next four episodes or so, I'm going to be sharing the most popular, most listened to episodes from back in the day from last year or the year before, because there are still some episodes that are going strong. And I don't even know how you're finding them because they're so old, but people must be scrolling back to, you know, like episode 64 and just going back and listening to these episodes. So I definitely think that since we are on episode 129, that these oldies but goodies are definitely worth a replay in case you haven't scrolled back, scrolled that far back yet. So I'm really excited that you are here. If you don't know who I am, by the way, my name is Catherine and I am the host of this podcast. I am a telehealth therapist uh, working in California right now, but my career has mostly been within medical social work. And that is what I love. That is where I got a lot of my experience from and how I became a specialist in anxiety management, burnout prevention, and mental wellness. So I get the question a lot about what, you know, how do I get into medical social work? And I think we need to really just kind of take a step back and see what is it that we mean when we say medical social work? Because there are so many different facets of medical social work that you can do, that you can get started in. And I'm just going to give you some statistics. I personally love medical social work for two reasons. One, I think it's fascinating to see the intersection of the social work world, right? Our mental health world interacting with the physical health world or the medical model, if you will. And it's that missing piece that the doctors don't know, the therapists don't know, that the nurses really aren't very keen to. And we bring that missing piece to the medical team when they're saying, what the heck is going on with this person? We don't know, please help. Or there's just so many family dynamics. There's difficult family members. How in the world do we communicate with these people please help us. And that is a lot where the social workers step in. The second part of why I like medical social work 
is because it is one of the most high paying social work jobs that you can get. Now, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say the highest paying because, you know, there's always different things out there, but generally speaking, it's going to be the highest paying area that you can go into because there's so much that you need to know. So like I said, you need to know your mental health stuff, how to communicate with people, how to have difficult conversations, and also that medical piece. You need to be able to communicate with the medical providers, the doctors, the case managers, you know, everybody that's involved with the with the client or with the patient, if you will. So before we get into it, I will say that the wages for medical social work are going to vary as any, you know, as they do in all states, right? But generally where you're going to find the most jobs are going to correlate where you have the most people, where there's going to be the most hospitals, where there's going to be the most people that need medical attention. But I'm looking at the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, BLS.gov. And according to them, you know, as of 2022, the state with the highest employment levels, they're going to be, you know, again, correlate with the, um, with the number of people living there. But New York is number one, followed by California, Massachusetts, Texas, then Florida. So those are the states that are going to have the most employment opportunities for social workers. As far as the pay, hey, we always like to talk about the money around here because it matters. We are not doing this for free. And if you are, I mean, God bless you because I can't be working for free. So I don't expect anyone else to because, you know, those student loans are real. Like, you know, the government will come for you. So the states, the top paying states for healthcare workers, ironically, are a little different. I'm proud of my home state of California coming in at number one, where they have the highest hourly mean or average wage coming in at $42 an hour. And that is an annual wage of 88,000 per year. And again, these are all averages, right? So yours may be less, maybe more. A lot of times we can make more than this, but, um, but California is the top highest paying state for medical social work, followed by Oregon, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Hawaii. And all of these, you know, we have California at the top with $42 an hour. And then Hawaii, which is the fifth highest, is $34 an hour. And that equals out to a yearly wage of $88,000 per year, down to $72,000 per year. So, you know, not too bad. Not too bad, uh, if I do say so myself. Definitely, you know, better than a lot of other jobs. So. What I get asked a lot is, how do I even get started? Where do I go? Because when you look at hospital jobs, which is what most people think about, they think about working in a hospital, they want an LCSW, or they want you to have however many years of experience. And I've worked in a hospital, and I totally agree that you do need to have experience. You cannot just, I'm sorry, but you cannot go in there straight from grad school because when you're working in the hospital setting, a lot of times there's not anybody 
that you can go to quickly and ask for questions. You're just put on the spot. You're there. You're with the doctors. You're with the patients. You are there. You cannot like step away and call somebody. And if you did, there's a lot of times there's not anybody to call because if you're the night staff or if you're working on weekends, your supervisor is not there. And especially if you're doing per diem work, you're really going to be the ones, you know, doing on-call stuff, working on the weekends, and you need to know your stuff. You need to know all the foundational social work skills, like documentation, a thorough psychosocial assessment, how to do crisis intervention, right? How to de-escalate. So all of these skills you need to have before you start at the hospital because they may not have the staff or the manpower to train you on all of these things. If you need extra support in these, because I know you may not have learned them in internship, you may not have gotten proper training on your job. Unfortunately, that's just how it is sometimes. Definitely check out the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist course. The link is in the show notes. But that course is going to go over all of the foundations that you need to have in social work, whether it's working in a hospital or working with child protective services or working with, you know, homeless population. It's going to be the foundational skills that you need to have and that employers expect you to have when you go into the job. So that is one. So Let's talk about the different types of settings that you can work in. So hospital is one that is the the most well-known, right? But even within the hospital, there's so many different areas that you may want to work in or you may not want to work in, right? So even within the hospital, when I worked at my hospital, there was different specialties. So there's oncology, people working with with uh, patients who have cancer, right? Cancer diagnosis. Maybe they're terminal. Maybe they're new, right? Maybe they're having surgery. There's people who work in transplants. So people who have gotten organ transplants, liver transplants, and they need to do planning for people to go home. There's people who work in the emergency room. That's very crisis response, very high energy very fast pace. You're probably only going to see that person one time for a couple minutes. So you got to know your stuff. You have to know your resources because the doctors, they want you to visit and then leave. They're going to discharge them. So if you have to go back and call somebody and ask them for, you know, resources or ask them for help, the client, the patient may not be there when you get back. So you really have to know your stuff. There's also working in the ICU, intensive care unit. And this was my personal favorite because I came from hospice and I just felt most comfortable working with people who have very severe health conditions. And a lot of times when you're in the ICU, you are intubated, you are being very carefully watched and the families are coming in. It's a slower pace because people are much, much sicker and they, they may or may not make it which are really hard conversations to have, but definitely necessary. And so, and then the other part of it was there's also the labor and delivery department that I worked in. So working with new parents, 
and their babies or going to the NICU and seeing the babies there and working with the parents and the nerfing staff with the NICU. So that's another area. The other areas in hospitals are pediatric work. So do you want to work with kids who are very sick? Do you want to work with the parents? Right? That's another area that you can do. So outside of the hospital, and those are the main areas that you're going to see, at least here in the United States, and that might not be all of them, but those are, you know, gives you a good idea of what to look for. Before you get there, right, the experience that you need, you can get them a lot of different places. And I'm going to tell you where to get them. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, An Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. So ideally, when you're starting out in medical social work, it would be amazing if you can have an internship in medical social work through your master's, uh, master's of social work when you're getting your MSW. However, I know that that is not always the case for everybody, and that is okay because there are a lot of other places that you can also get medical social work experience that has less requirements than the hospitals generally do. So one that, and then keep in mind, this may vary by your state. So while here in California, maybe you only need a master's, maybe in your state, they do want you to be licensed or they want you to be a, a licensed MSW, a LMSW, right, which is very common. So these are some ideas for you to look into and see if you can qualify for them. A lot of times if you go to skilled nursing facilities, they might have other names, residential care facilities, long-term care facilities, but a lot of times these facilities they have less requirements for the social workers or for the social services and you can get in i've seen people with them with a bachelor's working within social services in nursing homes so that's one area you can start 
Another area that you can look into is dialysis clinics. So people who need dialysis, they go three times a week and they're not always going to be going to the hospital and the hospitals don't want them there because they're reserved for people who are in actual emergencies. So dialysis clinics are places where people go, you know, three times a week, two times a week, maybe once a week on a regular basis. And you get to know them, you get to see the regulars, you get to do short-term therapy with them, you get to do crisis intervention, you get to do support. So you get to work with the medical team and give them resources. So there's a lot of opportunity there at dialysis clinics as well. The other place that you may consider looking into is hospice. So there are a bajillion hospice agencies that need social workers. So it's my understanding that since hospice is a Medicare benefit, meaning it's like a national, a national program, that hospices need to have social workers. And there needs to be some sort of psychosocial assessment done for people who are on hospice and have that, that psychosocial support while they're on their programs. And a lot of times you could be a MSW when you're working there. I know that that's what I did to get my hours is I graduated, I got hired with a hospice and I earned my clinical hours to get my LCSW. And that was done at a hospice agency. They also do hire people who are not licensed and maybe even if you have your bachelor's because there's also the opportunity for bereavement support, meaning you can uh, do, do grief counseling with people who have lost their loved ones. Sometimes hospice agencies have a bereavement department and that will give you a lot of one-on-one -on -one counseling, grief, grief work opportunities that are there. Sometimes they offer groups, so survivor groups or groups for people who are terminally ill, groups for people with Parkinson's disease, etc., things like that. Other places that you could consider looking into are places like the Alzheimer's Association or places where they service people who exclusively have Parkinson's disease. So these very specific diseases sometimes have organizations or associations or supports that people can go to and that you can get experience there. Additionally, there are adult day health cares. So places where um, adults who are older and who need care during the day, for example, if it's not safe for them to be on their own, then there's these adult day health cares. That's what they call them in California, where they can go and there's services there. There's nurses, there's doctors, there's lunch provided. It's kind of an all-encompassed program for people who can't stay home alone and their families may be working. So looking into adult day health cares may be another opportunity. Additionally, there's uh, residential care facilities or boarding care homes that are out in the communities. There's the ombudsman that oversee them. And that could be more, that's, that could be like a micro and a macro social work mix where you're going to see 
the clients in the homes, but you're also aware of the policies and the laws that are overseeing the regulations for these homes. And the ombudsman also generally oversee the residential care facilities or the skilled nursing facilities as well. That's how it works in California. It might be a little bit different in your state, but again, you know, something to, to consider and to look into. So those are going to be a lot of the main jobs that you can start with. If you are, if, you, and then once you get experienced, the other cool thing about this is they have travel medical social workers. And generally, they do want you to be licensed, again, because as a travel social worker, they're just going to be throwing you in to all sorts of situations. And this is going to be in a new city, a new town, a new place. So you need to know your medical social work stuff. So once you get licensed, then you do have the opportunity to do travel social work. And this happens when hospitals can't fill the vacancies that they need for for the social workers and they have travel nurses which is a really big thing too but that is another cool thing because travel social workers oh man they make a bank and usually it is a short-term assignment in a different area or it could be your area i don't know um but they pay a lot of money and travel social work is actually going to be one of the episodes that's coming up well, the replay of it is coming up in the next few weeks from you because it is a very popular topic. If you don't want to wait and you want to listen right now, it's episode 70. The next question that I get asked a lot is, what kind of training or certificates do I need to be a medical social worker? And this, my response is, it really depends on what your goal is, but the number one training that I would recommend is how to have end of life conversations. And I talk about this in detail in the course that I made, the Pulsed Basics for Medical Social Workers. This course goes over what you're going to need to have those end of life conversations with patients and families in a way that's going to keep the rapport, that's going to be more productive, that's not going to be so awkward because it's super awkward to meet a stranger and say, hey, so if you die, do you want us to try to resuscitate you or no? Right? <laughs> That's not going to be the way to build rapport and to build trust with people. So it's really important that you know what you're doing. So the link is in the show notes for that, the Pulse Basics for Medical Social Workers. And that also talks about how to fill out an advanced directive and the advanced directives, you know, they vary by state, but a lot of them have basically the same thing as far as would you want to be resuscitated? Who should we call? Who is your person that would make decisions? Things like that. So that is a summary of medical social work. I covered the different areas of medical social work, what kind of salary you can be expecting and how to get started along with a training that I definitely, definitely recommend you do if you are in this area or considering entering this area. So if this episode helped you, please, please, please share it. 
because we're not about gatekeeping of information around here. I want this to be available to all and everybody who needs it. Please go ahead and share it. If you're listening, I love to know. You can find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Um, I have TikTok, but I'm not very good at it. So Instagram and LinkedIn are really the main places that I hang out with, hang out at. And definitely, you know, take a screenshot if you're listening to the podcast episode, post it up so that other people know about the Social Workers Rise podcast. If you want more social work resources, if you want to hear from me more often, I send out tips and tools for clinical social workers through my email list. So the link is in the show notes for that as well. If you just want some tips and tools and resources, go ahead and join that. It is completely free. I would love to email you, you know, what I have and trainings that are coming up and all sorts of fun stuff. So with that, I will see you next week. And next week, we're going to hop right into school social work. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials for the future therapist and the Pulse Basics for Medical Social Workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.